to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, following the celebration of Pentecost several weeks ago, we returned to the liturgical season of ordinary time. This was a bit obscured by the celebrations of the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity and Corpus Christi, the two Sundays immediately following Pentecost. And perhaps the Church places these great solemnities at the recommencement of ordinary time in order to ease us out of the great celebratory season of Easter and into a more regular rhythm of life. However, it should in no way be thought that the liturgical season, which spans the time between Christmas and Lent, and then again between Easter and Advent, is somehow mundane in nature as compared to those more, in a manner of speaking, intense liturgical seasons in the life of the Church. We can liken the difference between the season of Easter, which has recently ended, and the ordinary season we now celebrate, as the changing seasons within one enduring relationship. In any relationship, there will be moments of peak intensity, where one's love for the other is especially ardent or put to the test. For example, moments of disagreement, sadness, and illness that can challenge the authenticity of love. In contrast, there are those other times where one's love reaches such levels that loving the other seems a matter of nature, coming to us as easily as the breath we draw into our nostrils. We might liken these periods of a more intense nature with those seasons of Lent and Easter, respectively. Still, there will be other spans of time where the relationship passes through more placid periods, where love is more easily maintained and cultivated, and these periods we may liken to the liturgical season of ordinary time. We may take the analogy one step further in order to emphasize the importance of this not-so-ordinary time. Any married couple will readily call to mind and agree with what has been said above regarding the varying levels of intensity in their relationship. Moreover, Married couples will also tell you that it is those more placid and calm periods of the relationship which can, if one is not careful, lead to the most dysfunction. In fact, some couples will enter these calmer seasons and pass through only to find at the end that they have no idea who the person they are waking up next to is anymore. This in turn quite often leads to a breakdown in the relationship. The two have separately found other interests and, given the social climate, they choose to go their separate ways. The same can be said of our relationship with God. We may not pursue our relationship with the same intensity during ordinary time by incorporating special devotions or periods of fasting as the church calls us to during Lent, for example. However, our relationship must continue to grow, for if it does not, it will begin to fade and eventually die. As a momentary aside, this is why making special devotions and incorporating regular fasting or abstaining from meat on certain days throughout the year, like Fridays, is important. These are things that the church did with much greater frequency as a whole in the past, and unfortunately have fallen out of practice. 
However, this does not mean that individuals and families cannot implement such practices as they discern appropriate within their particular domestic church. If we continue with the analogy, the devotions and ascetic practices we incorporate throughout the year could be likened to date night. The point is, like any relationship, our relationship with God takes maintenance and work. The best news in all of this is that unlike human creatures whose love tends to be very tied to emotional fluctuation, God's love for us never changes. What's more, while we might move away from Him or have our love for Him distracted, His focus is continually on us, as our readings for today demonstrate. This reality demands that no period of our earthly pilgrimage and walk with God this side of eternity be thought of as ordinary. Our first reading comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and it offers us a perfect example of this ever-changing dynamic in our relationship with God. Jeremiah was active prior to and during the Babylonian exile of the southern kingdom of Judah, circa 587 B.C. At the beginning of the book, which bears his name, we are told that Jeremiah is called to proclaim the message of God when he was still young, and therefore Jeremiah initially resists doing the work God calls him to. Perhaps this is because Jeremiah understood something of the personal cost being God's prophet would demand, and indeed, his work as a prophet brought him much personal persecution and heartache. For this reason, the book of Jeremiah is littered with lamentations, giving its author the nickname of the weeping prophet. In order to appreciate the selection taken from Jeremiah's words for today, a bit on the surrounding context is beneficial. Textually, the passage is situated in the first half of the work, wherein Jeremiah's oracles of judgment against Judah are located. Just prior to our passage for today, Jeremiah has been imprisoned for prophesying the impending doom of the nation at the order of Pasher, the priest in charge of the temple police. After having been beaten and imprisoned overnight, Jeremiah was released. And although in the face of his enemies, he seems undeterred, immediately prophesying personal doom to Pasher upon his release, Jeremiah is not so confident when alone with his most intimate companion, God. Our first reading for today immediately follows and is a portion of one of Jeremiah's lamentations. Unfortunately, the reading has been cut considerably such that the fluctuating dynamics of the prophet's relationship with God is almost undetectable. Thus, we shall broaden the text for examination. This particular lamentation of Jeremiah begins with verse 7 of chapter 20, where the prophet says, O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Notice the doublets in the first part of the verse, emphasizing its first two statements. The first of the two describes an attraction towards God experienced by Jeremiah. The second describing the attraction as being magnetic in nature, so strong that the prophet cannot avoid or escape its force. The prophet here is likely alluding to his initial calling by God. Yet, in his current circumstances, God's seduction seems less to Jeremiah like that of a divine lover calling his beloved, and more like divine trickery. For his fears of the reaction the people would have to the message God has sent him to proclaim have come true. Thus, we hear him speak of the insults and maltreatment he has experienced in the passage already mentioned. All day long, I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. And again in the subsequent verse where he adds, The word of the Lord has brought me reproach and derision all day long. And why has God's prophet been so treated? He tells us, The message he has been sent to proclaim to the people is one of violence and destruction. God's word has been rejected by the people, and together with it, Jeremiah its messenger, 
making him an object of mockery and derision. The following verse 9 is one of the most beautiful of the passage and to me one of the most intriguing of all scripture. For there we are given a glimpse into the psychological experience of the prophet. Because of the difficulty of proclaiming God's word and the maltreatment he has received in doing so, Jeremiah resolves to quit this work and save himself the trouble. But instead, something mysteriously beautiful happens. Listen, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary holding it in, and I cannot. Here is a precious glimpse into the heart of the one who loves God, who has been so confirmed in his trust of the one he loves that nothing, not even his own will, can overcome his very own desire to do the bidding of the one he loves. Here we witness the experience described by St. Francis de Sales in his introduction to the devout life, where he writes, Those who love God can never stop thinking about him, longing for him, aspiring to him, and speaking about him. If it were possible, they would engrave the holy sacred name of Jesus on the breasts of all mankind. Of course, Jeremiah had no historical knowledge of the revelation of the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Yet the very same word, whom we encounter in the scriptures and under the appearances of bread and wine in the Eucharist, spoke to and through Jeremiah, and he desires to do the same with you and me. This is where our gospel passage for this weekend from the 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel comes into play. Before continuing, it is worth recalling that, as mentioned last weekend, this passage comes from what is known as Jesus' missionary discourse, where we find him giving instruction to the apostles who he is sending out to proclaim the gospel. Jesus needs people like Jeremiah. He needs people who are so in love with God that they cannot help but speak of him continually, whatever the personal cost. Thus, within Jesus' missionary discourse, we discover the key to making this happen. The key? Fear. Yes, that's right. Fear. But it must be the right kind of fear, and it must have a very specific object. Listen as Jesus tells us, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We must backtrack in order to discover that those whom we ought not fear are of the same ilk who persecuted the prophet Jeremiah, those who refuse to believe the word of God. In a beautiful connection to our first reading, and that is situated between our Gospels from last week and in this, Jesus had told his disciples that when he sends them out as sheep in the midst of wolves, it is not they who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This Spirit is the very same fire of love which the prophet Jeremiah could not contain within him, but had to make present to the air in order that his word might set the world ablaze. However, while Jesus tells us we need not fear this group of detractors, there is one whom he tells us we ought to fear. And it seems we might read this in two ways. First, the one who can kill the soul could be Satan, the father of lies, who attempts to seduce us into turning away from God and thus willfully choosing our own demise in imitation of himself. However, there is a second possibility here which finds precedence in the tradition. The one who can kill the soul might in fact be God himself, who ultimately will judge the eternal state of each and every one of us, for some opening the gate to eternal life, and for others, the bowels of a life eternally deprived of his presence, and thereby unending death. We find multiple instances of being exhorted to fear God in the book of Jeremiah. For example, in chapter 5, verse 22, 
we hear God say through the prophet, Should you not fear me? Should you not tremble before me? I made the sandy shore the sea's limits, which by eternal decree it may not overstep. Notice, please, the connection with our gospel reading. In both instances, fear is being summoned via the recognition that there is only one who has ultimate sovereignty over all creation, caring for his handiwork by eternal decree, lest it fall into complete disarray. Here it is the sea, a natural force more powerful than any human weapon, and in our gospel, it is the birds of the air. To be sure, the words of the prophet are much more fear-inspiring in what we might call the traditional sense than those spoken by our Lord today. However, in order to capture the right sense of fear, we might look another place in the work of Jeremiah. In the latter half of the book, when destruction is certain, the prophet shifts from proclamations of destruction to those of comfort, and here we find exactly what we are looking for. In chapter 32, God describes how he will gather the people who had been scattered, bringing them back to their homeland, adding, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me always for their own good and the good of their children after them. With them I will make an everlasting covenant, never to cease doing good to them. I will put fear of me in their hearts so that they never turn away from me. I will take delight in doing good to them. I will plant them firmly in this land with all my heart and soul. This fear sounds quite different than that spoken of in the previous passage, and we ought to understand it accordingly. Recall that the prophet now speaks to a people broken and bruised, beaten the same way the prophet had been only to the thousandth degree, and they had been told exactly why disaster had befallen them. They had turned away from God. This fear, then, is one of overwhelming awe, of speechless wonder that one who had been so thoroughly despised and rejected could love without fail, could be so completely generous as to make that which was so utterly broken so radiantly new. This is the fear of the Lord which the Holy Spirit inspires within us, a fear which is described in chapter 11 of the prophet Isaiah as being a delight to those to whom it is given. It is therefore not a servile fear. That is, not the fear of punishment. Listen to the words God speaks through Jeremiah again. I will put fear of me in their hearts so that they will never turn away from me. This is not the fear of someone who seeks to avoid punishment. This is the fear of someone who has fallen in love and therefore fears only to be separated from the one loved. My friends, today we hear the love of God incarnate echo the very same message spoken through the prophet Jeremiah centuries before. It is a message of tender care, a care which far surpasses that of the most loving mother. Listen, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. There are simply no words to describe this kind of care, but there is a portrait, an icon if you will, that so eloquently speaks of the love which concerns itself with us that any attempt to describe it in words must ultimately surrender to sighs of wonder. The icon I speak of, written on the very fabric of creation, is the cross. The cross makes visible the invisible love, which stitched together and upholds the cosmos in existence. It is this radical love that makes us fall in love, such that the effect is like what we see in Jeremiah. We have to tell everyone about it, regardless of the personal cost to us. Such loving fear is also exemplified by the wonderful martyr Polycarp, made obvious when the powers that be asked him to forsake the one whom he loved in order to save himself. To such temptation, 
The aged bishop responded, Eighty-six years I have served Jesus Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king, who saved me? Today the Savior summons within us a proper fear of the Lord, the type of fear exemplified by Jeremiah and Polycarp, a fear that is an overwhelming sense of awe at the love which the incarnate Son's life revealed to us, most especially on the cross, in order that we might learn this rhythm of love and harmoniously join in the song, confessing Him before all men, with firm trust that He will acknowledge us before His Father. Living in response to this radical and unexpected love in such a way that the only thing we fear is to be separated from Him, regardless of the personal cost, makes every day far from ordinary. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.